96.9 FM HD Channel 3. It is Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. Satyar Shaw with Brandon Bachelor, Dan Richo away today. And Canuck Central, as always, presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. It is Andre Kuzmenko Day. The Vancouver Canucks, well, they win their first sweepstakes batch. They sign the much-heralded a uh, 26-year-old rookie coming out of the KHL has been sought after for a couple of years, and we're breaking that down for the next couple of hours here on Canuck Central. Frank Valley is going to pop by coming up at 3.30, then at 4. We're going to talk to Don Taylor to continue the conversation on Kuzmenko and what the Canucks may do next. And then we're going to break down Andre Kuzmenko's game extensively with Dylan Griffin from EP Ringside who has been watching him extensively. So we'll get into that coming up a bit later. But Batch, your thoughts on the Canucks coming away with the most sought-after free agent on an entry-level contract this offseason? Well, first of all, what a day for Riccio to take the day off here. We've been talking about the Kuzmenko <laughs> yeah. sweepstakes for weeks, and uh, here we go. I get to come in and pinch hit on a big day like this, so I'm excited. Uh, you know, the thing that stands out the most to me, aside from, you know, this young Russian player having the potential to have an impact for this Canucks roster going forward. And I think potential is the key word that, that we need to use there because, you know, we don't know exactly how things are going to go for him in North American hockey and in the NHL. But what is clear to me and what is a huge positive sign for this organization going forward is that this was a player who was sought after, highly sought after, by most of the teams in the National Hockey League, and he chose to play for the Vancouver Canucks. Whether, you know, five years from now we're talking about Andre Kuzmenko being a franchise player or whether we're talking about him being the, the next free agent signing that didn't work out. The fact that the Canucks and their management group and, yes, their coaching staff deserve a ton of, uh, you know, plaudits for this as well because we've heard about Bruce Boudreaux and, and how key he was in, in helping getting this signing across the finish line. The fact that this organization could go out and win a sweepstakes like this, I think regardless of what happens with Kuzmenko as a player, and, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He's a very exciting prospect. I'm really intrigued to see him, uh, you know, when he gets a chance to get over here to Vancouver and be a part of the organization going forward for at least the next year. But that's my biggest takeaway is, mm-hmm. you know, the Canucks are back to an organization that can beat out most of the other teams in the league for a key free agent signing. And for an organization that doesn't have a lot in the cupboards right now, doesn't have a very deep prospect pool, you know, it bodes well, not just that they were able to sign Kuzmenko, but they might be able to lure other free agents of his ilk in the coming weeks, months, years, whenever it might be, because with where their prospect pool sits right now, they're going to need to have more signings like Andre Kuzmenko. Well, they, they need a lot more, and that's something they're going to be working on extensively. And we'll talk a, a lot about what this means, where does Kuzmenko uh, fit best, and you know what's going to happen with the rest of the roster and the rest of the of the big moves the Canucks might be looking to make. And we'll get into that a lot more with Frank Valley coming up in the next segment as well. But what you touched on there as far as management goes and then being able to land this player, one thing, you know, I, I heard Earth 
on the People Show, and he kind of mentioned how it was really Alvin was a big part of this, of course, really spearheading this. And my understanding as well is that it was a real collective effort in the front office, too, and, and Alvin was at the very top of it, really driving all of this, of course. But the fact that they found a way to show Kuzmenko that he really mattered to them. Right. And, you know, whether that's going to Michigan and whether that's how they communicated their message, I think what they did was make him feel very wanted. And they had a clear plan for him having success here. And I know Dan Milstein mentioned on on Twitter and, and mentioned the dollar wall that nobody's been promised, you know, any any role or ice time or anything. But, of course, the opportunity for 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 that type of ice time was presented. And I think they were very. Um, honest in, in presenting those facts and letting them know of what could happen if you know it works out and plays well in camp and opportunities he would have on this team. But also that they found a way now to woo a player that was really sought after by more than just the Edmonton Oilers. And I know people make fun of the Joey's thing, but there are other teams that <laughs> knew how to sell a player that were really onto him. And he decided to sign in Vancouver. If we go back to when Mike Gillis was the GM of the Canucks, one thing he talked about was showing players they really matter and showing them that you care and, and that that you're going above and beyond for them. Now, hey, listen, you you can talk up, you can hear, you can hear that and say, hey, players are pampered as it is. You shouldn't be giving into them. But it's more about showing players you have their back and you have their best interest in mind, and and you you are finding a way for them to have success. If you're able to sell that message, and especially when you have people like Emily Castongay in the front office as well, who understands as a former player agent the types of messages you need to get across to a player to make them understand and feel wanted and feel respected. So the fact that they're able to land Kuzmenko is a real good sign, as you mentioned, that they be they could be heading into a new kind of era with this management team that is very good at landing some of the biggest fish on the market. Yeah, you know, the word that I think of, uh, you know, when I hear you talking about all those things is culture, right? And, you know, culture is this word that gets thrown around in hockey. That, you know, you know you've got to have a, a guy who's good in the room and, and, you know, your culture is everything. And oftentimes, you know, we throw that word around and we don't really think about what it means. But that's a good way of, of explaining it. And, you know, it's something I remember Emily Castongay talked about a lot when she was first hired to come on as an assistant GM with the Canucks is, you know, creating an, an atmosphere that gets the best out of their players, you know, making players feel like they're, you know, a part of, of a group that can achieve something that they're valued, that their concerns are being heard. These might seem like pretty straightforward things, but, you know, try and take this and, and apply it to, your own life if you're listening right now. So, you know, yes, these are still, you know, millionaire hockey players in a lot of cases, but all of us have worked at a workplace where we feel valued by management and we want to do our best because we enjoy the people we work with. We enjoy the environment. Uh, you know, we, we feel like management has our back. You know, we talk about good workplace culture. This is something that gets talked about in the corporate world a lot. Conversely, I'm sure lots of people could talk about bad experiences they've had in workplaces where all of those things that I just discussed maybe weren't working well. Yeah. And so you don't feel valued or you don't, you know, want to, you know, put put yourself on the line for for a workplace that you don't feel values what what you're doing um so when i look at culture with the canucks 
that's kind of what I think of is, is shifting that culture, growing that culture with the young players that are coming in with, uh, you know, you've got a new management group. Now you've got a new head coach. He's going to continue to build out his coaching staff here, um, you know, to foster that environment that, you know, you would think, oh yeah, of course, you know, why wouldn't you want to have the, the best, you know, the best or have the value of your players at, at mind, top of mind, you know, to, to want to have the best for them and, and, and them feel valued. These seem like obvious things, but Hey, we've all worked in jobs where we know maybe that's not exactly the case. So the fact that the Canucks so quickly too, after the management shifts, you know, we're, we're less than a calendar year. What are we seven months on from, from, you know, the change of regime here, the fact that this group has come in and has got to the point where Andre Kuzmenko felt that this was the best spot for him uh, with, you know, upwards of 20 other options around the NHL, I think shows how much work they're doing to try and foster that positive culture. And it's a good sign going forward. Well, now the the other big question, and we'll get into where on, in the lineup he might fit, but the big question a lot of fans are having, I see it into the text inbox as well, Dunbar Lumber 650-650. Who's expendable now? Who, who's going out the door? Who did the Canucks trade now that they've signed Andre Kuzmenko? And, and honestly, as much as it's really exciting to sit here and talk about the signing and it's super exciting to talk about what this means and all the stuff we've kind of been discussing already, but it's also a one-year deal. And he's a UFA after one year. And there are no guarantees he's going to be a hit. Now, hopefully he is, and hopefully it works out, and the Canucks get him signed to a long-term deal after, and we're all very excited and happy for Kuzmenko long-term. But he's yet to prove anything. With that being the case, I, I, don't, I don't think at all that Bo Horvat or JT Miller, even more so, more so's future hinges on Kuzmenko now being in the fold. I mean, those are such big monumental pieces on this team that matter so much whether you keep them or trade them that they don't hinge on a one-year bet on a player who's never played in the NHL yet, who's, who may not even be here next season, who you have no control over beyond one season. So I think Kuzmenko has zero impact on what happens with JT Miller or Bo Horvat in the trade front. What it could impact what happens to those secondary players? You know, when we talk so much about guys like Tanner Pearson, we talk so much about guys like Connor Garland, and yeah, they, they've played well the last little bit, and they fit in here potentially. Maybe they don't move the needle in a massive way in trade, but you wanted to hold on to them perhaps because you didn't have much else to play with, and you weren't sure you could move those guys out. Does that change the calculus now? Do you Are you maybe more comfortable now that you have Kuzmenko, you have Hoaglander coming back for next season, you have put Coles in potentially taking a step, and you think to yourself, between the those three players, maybe one can emerge as a top six player. Does that, in turn, make a guy like Pearson or Garland more expendable? Yeah, it will be very interesting to see. Certainly for cap reasons, uh, you would imagine that they would like to move off a player like that. Uh, just to free up some cap space to try and do some other things, whether it be help shore up the blue line or or whatever might end up happening this offseason. We're not entirely sure how active the Canucks are going to be. I know we've talked about it. They're going to make changes. It's going to happen. Uh, but how wide sweeping those changes are going to be or how many moves they're going to be able to make uh, remains to be seen. You know, I, I just see the Kuzmenko signing more so – you know, as compared to, you know, oh, Kuzmenko comes in so you can get rid of someone else. It's just another another added piece of depth mm-hmm. for this organization on 
a cheap contract, which to me is the biggest part because we know that um, cap constraints are what they are with this organization because of some of the contracts that they have on the books. So having a guy that can come in and potentially you're right, uh, or at the very least we'll have the opportunity to uh, have, have a role in the top six or up the lineup, or at least compete for that kind of a role with a guy like pod Coles in, or Niels Hoaglander, that, that's a positive. The more guys you can have on entry level or similar deals that can come in and be difference makers at the NHL level, the better. But I don't know, you're right, in the, you know, Seth, when you talk about he's unproven at the NHL level, that that's not me saying I don't believe he's going to do well mm-hmm. because I think he does have the opportunity to do well. And it, it seems like, the Canucks have at least pitched him on the fact that he's going to get a chance to play a role, whether, you know, that means they promised him second line minutes or not, as I've seen, you know, thrown around there today. You know, NHL teams generally aren't in the business of promising uh, players things. They'll they'll say, you know, you're going to have the opportunity, but you're still going to have to to earn that opportunity. But we'll give you the chance. And, and if you can show that you're capable, then then you can have that role and, and it'll be beneficial for both sides. So I, I'm completely confident that Kuzmenko is going to get that opportunity, but at the same time, we don't know how that's going to work out yet. And so I'm still leery, uh, especially when it comes to, to big name players, like the guys you mentioned, like Miller or Horvat, uh, where, you know, maybe some of those guys get moved this season. One or two of them get moved. If, if that's what the organization wants to do to try and gain some more cap flexibility and change the, the core and, and the group in the locker room a little bit. But to me, those decisions will have been made, you know, long before this Kuzmenko signing was completed. And I, I don't imagine that Andre Kuzmenko coming in is going to make the difference between whether you're trading a key player like JT Miller or Bo Horvat or not. And even if you project, I mean, I mean, there are, we're going to get into this with Dylan coming up at in the last segment of the show in the second hour about his playing style, how he fits in. I mean, there is a possibility, there is a world where he is a very good player and he produces at a pretty high level, not a superstar level, but, you know, let's say at a point, point, you know, close to maybe close to a point per game if, if he, you know, absolutely explodes. But the most likely kind of range where he gets projected if he hits is kind of that second line type of player, supporting cast player in a top nine, top six type of role. The type of role we see a player like Tanner Pearson occupy, you know, who's very much the the third player in a a top nine type of role. But he's very good at doing specific things. He works really well down low. And we haven't seen um, Kuzmenko on North American ice to understand if he can play as well. Um, along the walls and in, in terms of helping to play out and being good defensively the way Pearson is. But as far as in the offensive zone, they're both players that play down low. And Kuzmenko's not the fastest guy, but he's, he's a pretty stocky guy who's, who's like 5'11". He's very, very strong on his skates. He likes to work down low and then create chances as a playmaker and get his shot off at times. And when you look at how the Canucks are playing under Boudreaux, that's very much their focus under uh, the goal line, right? Play, uh, play a very aggressive style, try to cycle the puck and and get a lot closer to the net. That's where Kuzmenko plays. So I can see a pathway just like this, like the team pitched on him saying, hey, either it's Horvat or Miller or Pedersen, but either one of those three guys you're playing with potentially, and you're going to have a chance to be successful because your style is going to mesh in that type of role. That's how we want to play. So there is the potential for him to 
be a really good, at, at the very least, supporting cast player that can do that type of role at a, at a decently high level. And if that's something you can do, I think it makes it easier for the team to maybe move off of a player that plays a similar role, whether that's a Pearson or whether that's a Garland or something along those lines. Yeah, but that's, you know, a decision that will be made further down the line than right now. And, you know, here's a good text into the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650 from Gurjeet. says, guys, you can't plan on trading players because of the signing. For every Panarin, there's a Plotnikov or a Slepeshev and plenty of others. You've got to see him play 30-plus games before you're willing to make any moves. And I I can understand that line of thinking as well because, you know, because Kuzmenko hasn't played on North American ice because he hasn't played in the NHL, you know, it's a good point by Gurjeet that we see signings like this happen all the time Mm -hmm. and some of them work out, but plenty of them don't. So, you know, to, to make any sort of key structural changes to your roster because of the fact that you've been able to sign Kuzmenko. And, you know, again, I I believe he has the chance to have success. I hope he's able to have success. Um, I I have no issue with the signing because you're taking a flyer on a guy that has potential high upside, but if it doesn't work out, Hey, it's a a one-year contract at under a million bucks. Uh, You know, those are the kind of flyers that teams should be taking when they get the opportunity. But, um, you know, to 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 change the build of your team, the makeup of your team. And you're right, there are secondary pieces here that the Canucks might be looking to move anyway that they maybe feel more confident in moving because they know that they have a guy like Kuzmenko in the fold. Um, but But make no mistake about it, you know, those are secondary pieces that they would probably have been willing to part with anyway going into this offseason. Well, the whole point always was try to find some cheap bets. And there was no guarantee that if you're moving off of players with term, that you're going to be able to get a guy back who's a assured player who's going to be as good or better. You're not going to get an upgrade. You're probably going to get, going to get a guy who's a couple of years away or you're hoping can turn into that player at some point or there is a asset value in a pick that makes you make that type of a deal. And all along, you're kind of hoping that you make a few bets that are cheap and one kind of emerges and becomes a player for you. And I think, I think that's what Kuzmenko is. And you're right about guys like Pearson and Garland and those other players. They they may still be, have been expendable whether you sign Kuzmenko or not. But at the end of the day, you got to find a way to carve out cap, cap space. And it's easy to say, go and do it with Jason Dickinson and Tucker Pullman, but it's not easy moving money that's not doing much for you. And if you're looking at how the Canucks build out right now, they have about $14 million in cap space, roughly, if you put... Uh, Michael Furlan on LTIR. And that means, well, you still have to sign Lamico and Highmore to cheap deals, but they'll still come out to about $1.5 million combined. You still have to sign um, Brock Besser to about roughly, say, $6 million. So all of a sudden, that, that means about $8 million is going to be taken up. So that leaves you with about $6 million in cap space to fill a couple spots and go after another defenseman, potentially. So is this team going to stick with every single player they have? And then add Kuzmenko to the mix, and then maybe buy out Jason Dickinson to carve out some extra cap space and go on free agency and sign a top four defenseman to make the team better and be capped out the next few years. You could do that if you wanted to, but that's something that maybe you would have seen previously with Jim Benning in charge. I'm not sure this is the tact these guys want to take, right? Which is keep adding to the core, keep running it back, and, and see what happens next year, and find ways to create cap space and maybe buy somebody out. You can do that, but I'm not sure that's a path we're going to see. So ultimately, that somewhere they're going to have to make a move. Yeah, 
certainly they are. I, I'm going to be interested. You know, we've we've all been waiting for th- these moves to come, so it's going to be fascinating uh, if and when they do. But I think you make a very good point about you know the way that they're going to look to build going forward. And you know, in the final few seasons of the the Jim Benning era, if you want to call it that, Jim Benning's tenure as as the general manager. The goal was clear. They wanted to try and make the playoffs. They were making, you know, moves to try and gain in the short term. Uh, and ultimately, it blew up in their face where, you know, this was not a team that was able to accomplish a whole lot in the short term, short of the the run in the bubble playoffs. And many of those signings that were made, you know, with that mindset at, at, the, at the front of mind being, you know, trying to achieve something immediately are part of the reason we're talking about the cap constraints this team has right now. The encouraging thing with this new management group is they're coming in and they've got time. They don't have that added pressure, right? Jim Benning uh, had had quite a long tenure as the general manager and things had not gone to plan. So there was pressure on him to get this team to a spot where it was in the playoffs. There's not that pressure on this management group now. Uh, You know, do they want to be in the playoffs next year? I'm sure they do. But it's clear that they're, or it seems anyway, uh, it's not clear yet because they haven't made a ton of moves, but it looks like they're going to be prudent. They're going to make moves where they can make them, but they're not going to try and and go all in and push their Mm. chips into the middle of the table just to try and get a playoff spot next season, much like the Benning management group did last off season with, you know, the Ekman Larson and Garland trade. And, and that's encouraging because while it may not mean a ton of success in the short term for the Canucks and, and who knows it may, they could come back under Bruce Boudreaux and pick up where they left off after their great run in the second half of the season and ride that through into a playoff spot. And Kuzmenko could be great. And uh, you know, we've seen things can turn around for teams very quickly in the national hockey league. But what's most important to me is that the process is, is correct. That the process isn't being influenced by, oh, we've really got to push in to try and make the playoffs. And man, you know, we're under pressure now because we haven't had success the last few years. It's a clean slate for this group. And if, you know, the few moves that they've made so far are any indication, they're going to be patient. They're going to make moves where they can make them, but they're not going to try and force things. And that in the long run is how you build a team that doesn't just sneak into the playoffs but it's how you build a team that can contend and that, you know, organizationally you're doing the right things all the time to get your club to a point where you try to push for a Stanley cup, which of course has to be the ultimate goal for this organization. Well, what this does is give you cover. It gives you maybe, maybe soft cover at worst where you're not quite sure, but at least something that you can build your team on and say, Hey, here's a guy we can pencil in to at least vie for a spot on our team. Because one of the things I've been talking so much about, and it comes back to what you mentioned, process. Because we can sit here and say, trade this guy, create cap space. Trade that guy and create cap space. But if you don't have a plan or at least something to cover that spot, then why are you making that move? You know, Why are you making that move just for the sake of making that move? There has to be a plan in place. So, so when I look at, when we talk about does this make somebody expendable, it goes back to something that you know Dill uh, Preet said in the text inbox. We're, we're overthinking things. Trader Jim has a plan and he will execute that plan. And part of the plan is you build that cover or you build out 
pathways to cover that make you confident enough to make other moves. Because yes, you want to make other moves, but you have to have a plan in place to replace those players. And not necessarily to the exact degree of what you're giving up, but somebody that can play for you. That's going to be on your roster. You have to build out the roster to some degree. So now this step, I think what this does is give this Canuck squad a little bit of cover and we'll see what happens next. They still have to add more cover, obviously. They have to add more to the team and they have to have more find more pathways to players to replace those already on the roster. But I think the process makes a lot of sense and I'm really interested to see what the next step is. And we'll, and we'll talk more about that next step potentially and, and what Andre Kuzmenko can mean to this team with Frank Saravalli coming up from Daily Faceoff in a few minutes. But before uh, we get to that, let's take a quick look at the betting lines for game number three in the Stanley Cup final. You can always bet on hockey like never before. We're playing out sports, your local BC sports book. And man, did the Colorado Avalanche lay it on the Tampa Bay Lightning batch in game Game two, winning seven nothing, and for tonight's game, believe it or not, Tampa is actually favored to win on home ice. One point eight three on the money line. Colorado's coming in at two point oh on the money line, and I'm not counting out Tampa. I picked Tampa to win this series, but I think anybody who may have picked Tampa to win this series would be lying if they didn't say they'd be be a bit worried about that outcome not not coming out after the first couple games. Yeah, we had this conversation last week where I said, don't listen to me at all because I'm always wrong, but I think Tampa's going to win in six. And, and where are we now? The Avalanche are up 2 nothing in the series <laughs> and look yeah. absolutely dominant. So, um, you know, tonight obviously is a pivotal game in the series. Uh, if the Lightning go down 3 nothing, even, you know, with, you know, the nine lives they've seemed to have through the playoffs this year, um, you know, this Colorado team is an absolute buzzsaw. So uh, crucial game tonight. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. And I'm done giving betting advice. Seth. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you with everything going on here, <laughs> but I would say uh, Tampa to win tonight is a, is a decent bet. However, there's not a lot of juice on the money line. So for the first time, you can actually get a little bit of juice on betting Colorado to win the game. So if you're very confident in how Colorado is going and them finding a way to go up 3 nothing, you actually have a bit of value in doing so. We'll get into the Stanley Cup final a bit deeper as the show goes on. But Frank Valley is coming up next right here on Canuck Central. Welcome back to Canuck Central. Satyar Shaw, we're Brendan Batchelor. And Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto and Tire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. We're going to be joined by Frank Valley from Daily Faceoff. Coming up in a, in a matter of moments, we'll break down the signing of Andre Kuzmenko and what's next for the Vancouver Canucks. And a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. Uh, Dunbar Lumber and Ella from Coquitlam says, uh, do you guys see Kuzmenko playing on the Canucks power play one? And I think that's that's one of the big questions. If Kuzmenko is going to play on the first unit power play and all the players and all the principals remain from the first unit power play on this team next season, whose spot is he taking? And I think the easiest answer is if if everybody stays, and that could be a massive if, of course, is maybe Brock Besser's spot kind of in that, you know, Goal, you know, uh, net front, behind the hash mark kind of a role. That's where Kuzmenko is at his best. So if you're looking for a spot off the top of my head, maybe that one? Yeah, or or maybe you could move him into the spot that Messer's played in the past. Uh, at the top of the left circle is a right-handed shot and a shooting option because we have heard that Kuzmenko's got 
a good shot, but then, you know, JT Miller normally plays in that spot. So you're moving him to the net front or into the bumper. I think there's a possibility that the power play units look unrecognizable going into the season uh, for a variety of reasons. One, you have a guy like Kuzmenko that comes in, uh, you know, you want to probably get increased opportunity for someone like Pod Colson after the season he had. We also don't know, you know, what key players are still going to be here by the time, you know, this team drops the puck for the regular season in mid-October. So, uh, you know, there are more questions than we have answers there. But uh, I would imagine that there's at least a possibility that Kuzmenko gets a look there uh, just because of the, the skill he has and the ability that he has. But, you know, assuming no changes to this Canucks roster, sad, you know, I almost wonder if they don't try to balance out two power play units with all the options they'll have. Well, I mean, that is definitely uh, an option they could uh, consider, and we'll see what happens heading into training camp. But before that, a lot of moves could happen for the Vancouver Canucks. To discuss that and more, let's welcome in our good friend Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff into the conversation. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Frank underscore Saravalli. And Frank, for all the talk around the Vancouver Canucks, we've been talking about them so much the past year or so on this show. And with this new management team, finally they give us something real to talk about. Yeah, what a coup that is, and what a first win to sort of hang your hat on in a in a sweepstakes to have a bunch of teams vying for Andre Kuzmenko's services and to be able to be the team that wins him. Um, I think it speaks to to what they're building and and really the opportunity that was offered. Some might look at that and say, well, not many teams could make the same promise because they have holes, don't have as many holes on their roster, and and might not be able to offer that. I I don't look at it that way at all. I, I look at it in terms of um, you know, being able to grab a point-per-game player from the KHL in a no-risk signing to then throw him on your team and see if he fits in a top-six role. If he does, great. Uh, what a win that is. And if he doesn't, really no ground loss um, at all and no issues. So um, I think this is a major win for Patrick Alvin and, and his group to, to really just Put a, put a stake in the ground and say, this is what we're trying to build here. Come be part of it. Yeah, and from what I can gather, I mean, it was a really strong team effort by every, everyone involved. And of course, Patrick Alvin being at the very top of it, it, it really shows how they collectively had a real strong plan to woo and convince Kuzmenko, right? Well, this has been on their list for so long. Like, um, I can tell you that the night before Patrick Alvin was officially announced as the Canucks GM, he like knowing that he was getting the job the day before it was official, he was on the phone with and on the horn with Dan Milstein saying like, Hey, let's, you know, this is a guy that I'm really targeting and I'm interested in. And so the fact that that interest was expressed so early, it's great to do that, but it's another thing to follow through on the other end of it and be able to get the player. And Frank, we've talked a lot about, you know, waiting to see what this management group is going to be capable of in terms of the moves that they want to make. They made a couple of small trades, you know, a couple of good pieces of business at the deadline, moving out Tyler Mott and moving out Travis Hamanick. Uh, You know, when you look at the body of work from Patrick Alvin, that of course now includes winning the Kuzmenko sweepstakes. I'm sure it has to bode well for the way this organization is going to do business going forward into the offseason with the draft and free agency coming up in the next few weeks yeah brendan i think what it does is it inspires confidence in the market right you you begin to chip away one by one little by little and all of a sudden a lot of you know smaller 
moves end up becoming one big, you know, piece of the puzzle in terms of putting it all together at the end of the day and, and making the playoffs and being a competitive team. The moves that they were able to make at the deadline, they just struck me as smart, like moves that um, made a lot of sense, cleared up some cap issues, uh, you know, potentially cleaned up some personnel issues in terms of fits, and then properly positioned the team to do more in the offseason. So um, that's what they're chipping away at. They've, I think they'd be the first to tell you, Brendan, that they've got a long way to go uh, to get to where they want to. But this is the yeah. process, and when you have – a management group that inspires that type of confidence in the market, I think it just becomes a lot easier to do your job. You know, all of a sudden, you know, fans are excited and celebrating what you're doing as opposed to questioning every move. And, and I think that, uh, that all adds up at the end of the day. Well, and, and it's interesting because if you look at just budgetary wise, the 1.5 million they saved in making the Hamannick swap and getting Travis Dermott coming in, and now you bring Kuzmenko in. I mean, you're budget neutral, neutral from what happened last year. I mean, and that's a small little thing, but it just shows, you know, how are you making little small inroads? And the question now is, it's only one move, and it's only soft cover, really, because you're not quite sure what Kuzmenko is going to be, and it can only be a year because you don't have control beyond this anyways. But now that you have at least somebody you can pencil in or at least somebody you can envision being in a top-nine role, does it make it a bit easier for this team to maybe let go and move one of those complimentary, you know, guys they have, whether that's a Tanner Pearson type? Well, that certainly, yeah. I mean, when you look at uh, either uh, a Pearson or whatever you decide to do with Jason Dickinson, if you can do anything at all, um, I, I think certainly that gives you that type of cover and, and, and confidence to do that. You know, at, at you know probably at, at worst for Kuzmenko, he's contributing in that third-line role and can do so uh, pretty consistently and, and confidently. Um where it really gets interesting, and, and I, I'm definitely not willing to um, to bet on that just yet because we don't know what that conversion is going to be like from the KHL to the NHL. But I think, you know, probably at the end of the day, they're probably asking similar questions about some of the guys further up in their lineup. What if we have to move, you know, one of these other guys? How does that work? What does it look like? And what does our roster look like? And so when you're moving the, the, the name tags around the board in, in Patrick Alvin's office, uh, in Vancouver, that's probably part of the conversation that they're having is Kuzmenko just provides you that flexibility at least to begin to engage in some of those other conversations that you're thinking about. And obviously he was a very highly sought-after free agent here with the majority of the league showing interest in signing him. You know, As you talk to people around the league, where do they seem to think that you know he could top out at as an NHL player, like, you know, you're right. He's a European free agent. You never know what to expect when guys come over, especially when they're in their mid to late twenties, like he is. But if it hits for him and everything goes well, what do you think the Canucks might have here? Well, I think ultimately what people are hoping and targeting is, is like a 40 to 50 point guy that can contribute to your team in a number of different roles. Um, you know, he's someone that has that high-end skill and, and also has um, a bit of an edge to his game. Like, certainly you're not going to scare him and and, uh, and push him off the puck and, and um, he competes. So the reason why, it, it's not so much the player. Of course it's the player. But the reason why there's so many teams that are interested is because he's free, more or less. Yeah. And there's no risk. And to be able to add a player like that into your arsenal and also on an entry-level deal – 
be interesting to see what the bonuses work out to be and, and what they've negotiated um, because the, the Canucks have been down this road before uh, last season, of course, with Yarrow Halak and the, the performance bonuses. So that will mean something, but I'm sure a lot of teams were willing to offer the same thing in terms of what they'd be able to get uh, you know, on entry-level contracts. So that's what makes it so enticing is it's, it's risk-free. And, and Frank, we're at a spot now when we're trying to figure out what the Canucks are going to do that we parse every single word and, and we we really read into everything that kind of kind of gets said and everything we kind of hear. Do that, we don't on. we don't do any of that stuff, of course not. But <laughs> but one thing that that I've heard, and I know this was tweeted out by Dolly Wall as well, but one thing that I did hear was in their pitch they did tell them that between Miller Miller Horvat and, and Pedersen, you're going to have a chance to play with a good center. Does that does that say anything about their intent in trying to hold on to all three of their centers? I don't think so. I mean, look, I'm not knocking anything that the Canucks have said to Kuzmenko or, or tried to sell him on, but teams make promises to players all the time that aren't kept. And not saying that will or won't happen here. I think in, in a perfect scenario, you know, you'd have those guys back and you'd have a team that's properly structured and, and suited cap-wise from, you know, first line to fourth line. I don't know how much or all, all of it, is, is going to be able to be accomplished this summer. But, I, I mean, look, here's the thing that you can promise, and this I do believe and take the Canucks at their word on, is that he's going to get a major opportunity to play with good players. And if he converts and he plays well, that opportunity is going to be on the table all season. And if he doesn't, well, he's going to find himself playing with players that maybe are a little bit less desirable and further down the lineup, and that includes ice time and roll. So, um, I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying any of that. Mm-hmm. But what you do sell the player on is, hey, we have good players here, and you are going to be given every opportunity to uh, to earn that spot in our lineup. Uh, and we'll see ultimately what happens here. I mean, nothing's really changed on the Miller-Horvat front negotiation-wise. I think it's still status quo. But as far as Besser is concerned, would you say the likelihood is still that he ends up signing here in Vancouver at this point? <laughs> I think so. That's the intel that I have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I, I I would probably say that it's a little bit of a long shot to think that he'll sign a long-term deal. I think ideally, you know, and, and Jim Rutherford dropped this hint on, on our podcast a few weeks back, the idea of, you know, potentially signing a three-year deal. Um, I think that's the preferred window that the Canucks would like to be in, just to you know, further investigate and evaluate the process of where is Brock Besser in his development. They know he's a talented player. Can he get back to the level that we saw previously? And if so, he's going to be richly paid in this league. And if not, well, then the Canucks might have a different problem on their hands. So um, I think the very worst case scenario is that they bring him back on a, on a one-year deal at that qualifying number. You know, Patrick Laine has been through it. I don't think it's, you know, I really don't think it's the worst case or worse path forward given that there still seems to be some question marks about Brock and his game make him a well-paid player for one year and then figure it out you know you can figure it out halfway through the year you don't have to wait till the end of the year you can address it in January Frank Saravelli of Daily Faceoff with us here on Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. As we shift our attention now, Frank, to the Stanley Cup Final with Game 3 going tonight, uh, what should we expect in terms of a pushback from the Tampa Bay Lightning, do you think, after how thoroughly they were embarrassed in Game 2? Well, Brendan, I'm not sure if you can hear it in the background, but I am in the arena in Tampa. Yes. What we can expect is that their DJ is quite good. Uh, I can confirm that. Um, but, I mean, 
look, this is it. This is uh, this is do or die for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Are you going to be three-time defending Stanley Cup champs, or is your cup full at two? They certainly look to me like a team that can't skate with the Colorado Avalanche. The pace has been so overwhelming. They've barely had the puck. The abs have been in complete control, really, from start to finish. Uh, in both of these first two games, you know, overtime uh, and the comeback by Tampa included. And, you know, how can the Lightning adapt to this speed? They haven't seen it in these playoffs. Uh, no one has had the same speed as the abs. And it's not like they can just go attach rocket boosters to their to their skates, you know, as the series shifts to Tampa here. They've got to find a way to change their structure so that they slow down the abs and then also give themselves more time and space to make better decisions with the puck. That's really what stood out to me is, you know, not only were the abs all over them off the rush, but they were so good on the forecheck that you just saw all these uncharacteristic turnovers in place for a Tampa team that has been there and, and done it before and seen it all. And all of a sudden, Brendan just looks like they were 100 years old. It is incredible the amount of speed that they have. And it doesn't look like Andre Burakovsky is going to play tonight. At some point, do we see that bother I mean, or affect the Colorado Avalanche? Let's say Kadri doesn't play. You don't have Burakovsky. Girard's not playing. Or does it not matter at all? I tend to lean towards it not mattering. I mean, look. Here's the crazy part about what the Avs have been able to accomplish so far in this series. Kale McCarr scored two goals, but they weren't goals of consequence. They came when the game was already 5 nothing. Nathan McKinnon doesn't have a goal in the series. Miko Rantanen doesn't have a goal in the series, but he has five assists. Like, those guys have all played well, but I would think at some point their stars are going to come through and have monster nights as well. It's really been a lot of the secondary pieces. That's the scariest part for Tampa in addition to the fact that the Avs this season are 7-0 and on the road. So um, it's been it's been pretty incredible to watch that team come together. And, you know, now without Kadri likely, who's possible, I think, for Game 4, then again uh, without Burakovsky in Game 3, their secondary pieces have stepped up in such a big way that, you know, all of a sudden we see more Alex Newhook or someone that has an abundance of skill um, you know, Nicholas Albe-Kubel comes into the lineup most likely. He had 11 goals this year as a waiver wire pickup. Like, they've been able to find guys and get contributions in a way that it's boosted almost everyone's numbers to a career rate or better um, that they've just got it going on. And a lot of the focus tonight at the other end of the ice is going to be on Andre Vasilevsky coming off the 7 nothing loss in Game 2. And, of course, uh, here in Vancouver, we've never, you know, read too much into a goaltender giving up a ton of goals in a Stanley Cup final game and not getting pulled. But, uh, you know, how, how do you look at that element of it? The Vasilevsky was left in there by John Cooper to go the distance. It went as badly as it did and, and how that could affect the way that the Lightning and Vasilevsky come into this game three? Well, I mean, I, I know that on the, the Tampa list of uh, concerns, Vasilevsky is really towards the bottom. Yeah. But I, I do raise an eyebrow really at some of the goals that were scored. It wasn't the volume. It was more the manner in which they were scored in game two. How often is it that you saw or would see Andre Vasilevsky getting beat from distance? Like, Josh Manson is no sniper, but at the top of the circle, you know, he's beat cleanly. 
And it happened a few times in that game where you're saying, man, that just is uncharacteristic. Maybe we won't see a night like that again. Um, but, you know, I was kind of thinking that we wouldn't see a first period like we did in game one, and we did. So, um, you know, I certainly have some question marks about Vasilevsky and his game moment just because I think they're so overwhelmed that they've had a tough time really settling down, and it's worn on their goaltender uh, the play in front of him, the sheer volume and, and danger of the chances that have been created by Colorado. Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff, is our guest. And before we let you go, Frank, and go and enjoy uh, Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final in Tampa, um, what's the latest on Barry Trotz? Does it look like Winnipeg has a good chance of landing him here? Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I feel like the longer this has gone on, my answer is no. Um, I know that they have interviewed a number of other candidates along the way. I think Jim Montgomery has been reported. Um, I believe Rick Tockett interviewed there at some point as well. Um, you know, they've continued to work through their list in the, in, you know, just in case Barry Trotz doesn't end up going there. We know there's a management component to it. And the big thing that I'm wondering about Barry Trotz is when you have Nashville making this ownership change and you have David Foyle, who's been around a long, long time as, you know, getting up there in, in years, I would imagine at some point David Foyle is, is going to be stepping back. Does Nashville make sense from a management perspective? We know that he's been interested in that path for a while. It's not going to be on the coaching front there because John Hines is signed mm-hmm. to an extension. But would Nashville make sense uh, of an organization he's so intimately familiar with and, and really cut his teeth as an NHL coach for so, so long? Um, I could see that being a really solid connection and next step in Barry Trotz's career, you know, if the bench – you know, isn't necessarily as appealing for him at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting to see if he does move into the front to a front office role, and if that would be with the National Predators. Way to go, full circle. But Frank, always a pleasure getting you on the show, and and I do hope that next Monday when we talk to you, the Cup final still ongoing. That's what I hope for. Well, you can hope that. I uh, am hoping that I don't have to do TV hits outside again, like I just did on Tim's friends in Tampa. They asked me if I felt like a rotisserie chicken, and I said. Uh, yes, a very, very thick rotisserie <laughs> chicken. This segment has been sponsored by Goldbond. Um, that's terrific, but please get hydrated, all right? Thanks, guys. Take care. Uh, you got it. That's Frank, Frank. Cer- uh, that's Frank Valley daily face-off. And you know what? As much as we, because we're not traveling and we just get to watch this at home, I'd love to see it, you know, go, it go six or seven games. But if you've been covering the playoffs and you've been going to city after city after city for a couple of months, I can see how you want it to be over. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, I, I, you know, feel for the the play-by-play guys like Chris Cuthbert, who, you know, obviously it's a dream to call the Stanley Cup final and you're at the peak of your profession. It's absolutely where you want to be. But Chris Cuthbert has called every round of this playoffs. He's probably been away from home for what, close to two months? So, you know, absolutely, uh, I can understand, especially for a guy like Frank as well and all the great work he does, having his boots on the ground all over the NHL and and right now with the Stanley Cup final, that uh, eventually, regardless of how cool your job is and how much fun you're having, you just want to go home. Uh, so I can relate to that for sure. Yeah, uh, but you know what? Selfishly, I want this series to go a lot longer. Not just because I picked Tampa to win, but I mean... I. The first game was fantastic. Game two wasn't great. I'm, I'm expecting a good game tonight, Batch. Like, I do think tonight's game is going to be a good one because um, Tampa, for everything we've known about this team, they may not win this series. I just can't see how they actually lose this game. And I'm not saying we'll get into the betting side of this a bit later, too, but 
I'm not saying it's not worth putting a wager on Colorado, but with everything we know about Tampa, do you just not expect them to win this game tonight? Yeah, well, I just I just want this series to last as long as possible uh, in the sense that, you know, you and I were on the air a week ago hyping up, you know, one of the greatest Stanley Cup final matchups we've seen in the last 15 years and the two best teams in the NHL going head to head. So it would be kind of a, a downer or underwhelming if it's a quick series, if the Avalanche, you know, if the Avalanche go up three nothing tonight, the series is essentially over. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the Lightning may be able to, uh, you know, allow it to last an extra game or two but you know none of us believe that the Tampa Bay Lightning will beat the Colorado Avalanche in four straight games so everything hinges on tonight and you know this is a Lightning team that's been there before that's been down two nothing in a series in this playoffs already although certainly not against a team the likes of you know the Colorado Avalanche but whether the Lightning win or lose tonight, I expect that they'll come out with their absolute best game. The question is, with the way the Avalanche are playing right now, is it going to be enough? And I'm not entirely sure mm-hmm. the answer to that question is yes. Well, we'll dig into that a bit more coming up in the next hour of Canuck Central right here on Sportsnet 650.